A Celtic cross tattooed on her neck, a too-big-to-be-a-diamond-stud in his right ear, entertained their fellow passengers by crawling into each other's laps. A bald man with a hawk nose trumpeted his importance into his iPhone. Something makes people want to confide in me, no matter how hard I stare at my book. I wish I knew what it was so I could change it. When the businessman abandoned his cell and adjusted the knot in his tie, I had the feeling he was going to start complaining at me, like I was his secretary or his wife. And then just in time, I remembered the quiet car. Really, Teddy, it was like you whispered in my ear, Em, go sit in the quiet car. I shot to my feet as though the engineer had electrified my seat, lurched down the aisle, and found a place among the blessed book readers and stretched out sleepers, where I collapsed and breathed until the pulse stopped throbbing in my ears. I considered swallowing a Xanax, but as I stared out the gray-tinted window at the passing shoreline, I got a better idea. I could pretend there were thick glass windows between me and the crowds, a bulletproof tunnel running straight to Henneman's. I could keep myself mentally separate, isolated and alone. I could figuratively stay on the train and lock everyone else outside, and I wouldn't open the door for anyone but Jonathan. When an elderly woman peered at me over her rimless reading glasses and smiled encouragingly, I let my face go blank, willing her to turn away, to not mistake me for some friend's college-bound daughter in need of a comforting pat. I must have looked desperate, stricken, agonized in spite of my careful preparation. You can't imagine how much time I spent modeling outfits in the mirror, changing my mind about this scarf, that pocketbook, these pants, this sweater, before winding up in a sophisticated version of what you called my uniform. Ink black jeans and a wheat-colored edition of my usual v-neck t-shirt. At the last minute, I added a black suit jacket, because everyone in Manhattan wears one. Simple gold jewelry, a necklace, and a ring. All those wasted hours, and I still screwed up the shoes. I made a mistake and chose the heels you once jokingly termed my power shoes. At the time, I figured I'd take a cab from Penn Station to Henneman's, but I was early. When have I not been early? I roamed the station for 18 minutes but they kept making scary announcements over the PA. Watch for suspicious persons, abandoned parcels. Don't leave your luggage unattended. The lights were bright and hot, and the air reeked of rotting pizza with a hint of urine underneath. A seedy-looking man focused hollow eyes on my pocketbook, sizing me up for a mugging. So I made the snap decision to walk. I visualized a dot on a map. Me. The dot would slide smoothly from Penn Station to the meeting with Jonathan. I erected my imaginary tunnel and under its protective shell sped cross town to Fifth Avenue, silently reciting sonnets to counter the boom and thud construction noise, the screech and traffic. Shakespearean iams moved my feet,
and the map dot made steady progress until I reached the corner of Fifth. There, despite the simplicity of the directions, I halted, confused. Right or left? Shaken, I almost panicked. My breathing shifted into second gear, but I knew the numbered cross streets would inform me if I erred. I turned right, which proved correct, and then I simply had to scoot down to the twenties, which would have been fine except for the shoes. Never look like you need the money when you go in for a loan. That's what I thought when I tried them on in front of the mirror. New and expensive, practically unworn, They seemed glamorous and carefree. But how can you look carefree if your toes are getting squeezed in a vice? I was hopelessly early, twenty-two minutes. So I detoured, backtracking up fifth, bypassing the library, because the stairs seemed too steep a challenge.